Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from Struggle to Success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show, and for all the new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. I'm really excited for today's conversation because for me, it harkens back to my days in graduate school. I spent a lot of time in grad school working on international relations, international development projects, including one project that was a proposal to use blockchain technology to identify and provide aid to Syrian refugees. A lot of really fun international aid kind of work. That was many moons ago, but I'm really pumped for today's discussion with May Maboub, co-founder and president at NBD Financials, among many other titles, uh, about her work at NBD Financials and in the tech and AI space. Um, May is working on some really awesome blockchain technology projects we're going to dive into today. But if May, if you would please introduce yourself and tell the audience more about what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Lindsay. Super excited to be here. Um, like you said, my name is May Maboob. I am the co-founder and president of MBD Financials. We are creating a um, completely photorealistic, decentralized metaverse business district. Uh, the goal is to be able to provide um, solutions specifically in the financial industry for individual across the globe, especially for those that are unbanked. So super excited to talk a little bit more about innovation and the metaverse and how um, the different types of solution that's out there. So cool. To set the stage a little bit, I've pulled the 2017 Findex report, which pulls from the Global Findex database, which in its own words is the world's most comprehensive data set on how adults save, borrow, make payments, and manage risk. So this is kind of to talk about the the particularly the unbanked population, but some of those populations that I know that you're working to serve. Um, so some some basic stats: 1.7 billion adults remain unbanked. I I firmly suspect that there's fluctuations in that number. Like I said, this is a 2017 report that they typically put out every three years. Third year was 2020, and we all know how that went. So I think that there's been I'm I've been waiting for the newer report to come, but until then. 1.7 billion adults remain unbanked as of 2017. China has the world's largest unbanked population at 225 million, followed by India at 190 million, Pakistan at 100 million, and Indonesia at 95 million. It's kind of a concentration in Asia there. Um, women are overrepresented among the world's unbanked, and unbanked adults are disproportionately young. So globally, 30% of unbanked adults are between 15 and 24 years old. That kind of gives an idea of what the picture is like for unbanked folks. But May, I would love to ask you more about how and why you're trying to create um, not only a banking, but a financial solution. I think it's important to note that banks are also loans and credit cards and mortgages and car payments and all kinds of access to things that people don't think of when you just think of a bank is where you kind of put your money. Um, there's so much more to that. So really a financial solution that helps reach the unbanked, but also helps people at all levels with a decentralized banking platform. Um, so the first question I have is, 
what made you want to create a banking system for people who may be outside current financial systems? Absolutely. Um, so just to even think about financial solutions in general, I like to do a little bit of a comparison because if you uh, take yourself back to when you first started working, I started working at Baby Gap when I was 16 years old, weekend um, fitting room and, and the typical retail job. And when I used to get my paycheck, the last thing I wanted to do is deposit it into a bank account and wait for it to clear, which sometimes took two to three days, business days. And then I wouldn't have uh, money to spend over the weekdays because it was more going to school and such. So what I would do is on my way home, I would go to a check cashing location. I would cash it just so I had fiat straight in my hands and I could go shopping on a Sunday and, and spend it everywhere else, even in school. So those individuals are still considered unbanked. So just to kind of give you a um, description, unbanked doesn't necessarily mean uh, individuals that are in poverty level. Um, regular individuals, uh, specifically ones that do not want to leave all of their funds at, in a bank, uh, typically, or get paid in cash for several services, typically are usually unbanked as well. Um, and less and less are becoming unbanked in the United States as more fintech solutions and financial industry kind of comes out. But as you've kind of mentioned, you look at the individuals that are traditionally unbanked and it happens to be in Asia. And um, being from Asian Southeast Asian descent, I was originally born in Bangladesh, which is right next to India. Um, one of the highest populated countries in the world. And the number is quite high up there as well for individuals that are in bank. And the reason tends to be, um, even when, especially uh, females in general, it's because people don't want, in, in order to have a bank account, it requires quite a bit of different uh, sort of licenses. And um, even to have your birth certificates, a lot of individuals don't even have birth certificates in those countries. They're home births. And in order to get a birth certificate, it requires a lot of financial uh, monetary. You have to uh, pay for birth certificates. And a lot of times they don't even have the funding to be able to do that. So um, it, people just go earning in cash and just paying for services where businesses just accept cash in general. And when you look at women, women usually are the ones that run the household. They don't go out and work. They don't have um, financial um, in financial knowledge in general where to invest money. It's usually the husband that take, goes out and earns, takes care of all of the bills. The women take care of children, cook, and, and take care of the household, which is why women are really underrepresented in this industry. So, But as we advance a lot of the um, solutions that you'll see, women are becoming more educated or, or um, there's a high rate of um, single or single moms and um, individuals who are looking at, you know, how do I really support, secure my financial um, and have that financial stability and, and create that ecosystem where I'm financially stable. And that's where a lot of the education comes in, in addition to financial solutions within the fintech industry. And if you really look at like, Companies like Ave and Compound, they currently provide decentralized borrowing and lending services. 
that don't require KYC or any type of credit scores as well. So it's um, the systems instead automated through the user of uh, with the use of smart contracts and only requires certain collateralization. So that's where a lot of you'll see a lot of innovation come from that as well. Gotcha. Why did you and you you started speaking to this already? And part of it is is access to things like documentation um, that people may not have. But why did you choose blockchain technology as the underpinning of the solution that you're creating? Of course, you know, one of the main um, solutions in blockchains, because blockchain is a disruptive force to the financial sector. Um, you'll notice a lot of even traditional banking banking organizations like um, JP Morgan or HSBC, they're utilizing blockchain technology for ledgers and transparency, um, and especially with the functions of payments and banking. Um, however, banks and decentralized blockchains are really vastly different. So, um, for example, one of the solutions that that we've implemented and will utilize is the blockchain to provide solutions such as um, opening an account with the data sharing feature. So you have a digital ID regardless of having a driver's license or a birth certificate to prove your identity. And it's automated with the help of blockchain technology or being able to do a digital online payments across the globe, um, especially if you look at other countries where individuals, like, for example, in South America, a lot of the uh, family head of the household, if they work in the United States and they're sending family uh, money home, uh, it provides that instant uh, transfer of mon of those uh, finances and digital payments across the globe. And it's 24 seven. You don't have to wait for a certain amount of time and it doesn't require uh, pending transactions, verifications and such. Um, you're able to make investments on the blockchain and um, investors will profit with receiving higher returns. Uh, so I think the blockchain would traditionally change the way we do things and, and offer much higher solutions than traditional banking generally. I'll absolutely link the white paper where you've, you've talked about a lot of these things in depth. Um, and but I do want to talk a little bit more about the accessibility portion of of MBD financials. One of the things that you've already mentioned is that you don't need paperwork to create a digital ID, which is a huge deal for for people for many different reasons. Um, taken directly from the paper, also about accessibility. Uh, accessibility is one of the prime factors MBD financials is focusing on. For an average person, gaining access to a well functioning digital finance system is simply too time consuming. MetaBank DeFi completely overcomes this problem by giving users an easy to use system that allows them to go about their daily lives and make any transactions they require. So we talked about instantaneous um, transactions and about, um, about not needing uh, paperwork or being able to easily create a, an ID. But what, is, what else makes the technology accessible? I know that you've talked about making it photorealistic. Like, is it available on smartphones? Um, is it like, how do people get to it in an easier way that, or how are you thinking about really rolling this out to make it super easy to adopt? Of course. Um, one of the main things we looked at is while providing those financial solutions, concurrently we'll be offering financial education. 
So I think that's really, really important for individuals to know um, how to use the service, not just how to use the services and uh, the steps and the solutions that it provides, but the benefits of it are new ways. How can you implement other solutions with what you're offered to create this entire um, uh, smooth transition over from traditional banking services to that? Or individuals that are looking whether you, you're putting in $10 in a um, digital currency world or uh, 10 million, there are ways that you can really generate revenue or increase your earning via um, via staking or via um, lending protocols that are out there and be able to increase like, your financial security. Um, so when it comes to accessibility, it's completely accessibility agnostic. So many actually have um, cell phones or most individuals have cell phones uh, where they can receive that accessibility. So our goal is to be able to simplify accessibility on top of making it agnostic. So education via whether it's dictionary level or it would be based off of the level of understanding of that individual. So it teaches you based off of um, how you actually learn with AI integration um, into the solution as well. So it will feed you information based off of your level of understanding. So if you're if you're not an expert, we don't want to bombard you with the amount of information that's out there. So um, I don't know about you, Lindsay. I remember when I first got into cryptocurrency and I wanted to kind of learn just in general. It was only YouTube that was available and even reading it was like, wait, what is mining? And, and I didn't want to go straight from zero to mining. Right. And even like with mining, you think about, OK, what are they mining? It's, it's like data. Right. And, and it was it's overwhelming. And it's like even to how to purchase cryptocurrency. Um, I remember when I first got into it, it was like, OK, you take it from here, you trade it on pancake swap and then. There's sushi swap and there's all of these other Sunday swap and you have to make sure it's this blockchain and it did we didn't have cross cross chain compatibility and and as many solutions as we have now so um, no one really knew if if your currency was safe even though blockchain's the safest um, form of technology for any financial solutions so those are things that we take into account too. I love that. I, I just pulled up um, my favorite, one of my favorite tweets about uh, cryptocurrency is someone said, I still don't get Bitcoin. And the reply was, imagine if, if keeping your car idling 24-7 produced Sudokus, you could trade for heroin. <laughs> and I think we've gotten away from the heroin part, but I do always think, imagine if you keep your car idling 24-7, the produce and solve Sudokus, and it got you money. <laughs> I do. I, I want to ask though a little further because agnostic is a term that shows up in your in your paper a lot, and it's a term I'm familiar with in in a lot of a lot of contexts that aren't cryptocurrencies or that aren't banking or financial systems. But what does agnostic mean to you? Does that mean cross platform, cross device? Like what what makes your platform agnostic? Absolutely, it is so. One of the um, it's based off of technology and the way you access those that technology. So the solution is cross chain um, to start with. So cross chain meaning you're able to uh, convert from any blockchain. So if you have assets on okay. Binance, you're able to 
take it over to Ethereum. You're able to take Ethereum and and bring it over to Binance. It's blockchain um, uh, blockchain compatibility as well as solution compatibility based off of the worlds that you're able to have access in. Um, what we're creating isn't just a platform, a business district or world uh, where individual where we'll just have our solution. It's more so of like a marketplace. So we're looking at other projects and businesses can have locations there and they'll be able to offer services, whether it's financial services or even e-commerce uh, to digital services. NFTs will be there. Um, you'll be able to play. We have implemented live language translation for communication purposes. So you'll be able to converse with someone let's say in Africa, and you don't speak the language, but it, it translates it instantly voice to text or uh, voice to voice in their native language. So communications completely um, clear and precise, as well as um, making that accessibility as far as whether you're using a VR headset. So you mm -hmm. receive the ultimate um, experience where you're able to walk through the business district and you're completely immersed in the environment, or you can use a laptop or a, a tablet or even your cell phone for the simplified services that you want. Okay, so agnostic really means just completely portable, completely compatible across platforms, so across software and hardware, kind of. Absolutely. Okay, oh, very cool. Okay, that's kind of what I thought, but that that is, um. That's a really complicated technology. Like, surely she can't mean across everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the main goal because that's how we're going to. There's so many uh, blockchains that are out there. There's so many platforms. And the key is one of the reasons we're building on Binance Smart Chain is to make it um, accessible for individuals across the globe where they can't. Um, really afford the high gas fees on Ethereum. Right. Um, and most projects tend to build on Ethereum. So um, yeah. you want to still make sure that um, it's EVM compatible. So if you, are, um, if you are on the Ethereum blockchain and, um, or on the Ethereum virtual machine that we're able to bring over your assets on ours as well. Gotcha. And just for any listeners out there that may be less familiar with um, blockchain and cryptocurrency transactions, Ethereum uses gas as a, basically essentially a way to power different transactions. So in order to create, to make an Ethereum transaction, you have to buy gas. Same way in order to travel anywhere in a car, you have to buy gas. So it's kind of, yeah, easily named for uh, understanding. So zooming out, a key principle of MBD is to put power back in the hands of users by utilizing blockchain technology and all these ways we've talked about by making it agnostic, making it accessible, by creating a banking system that doesn't require a birth certificate. Um, how disruptive do you think this kind of application and other applications will be to traditional services? Of course. Um, so I just want to kind of explain how DAOs work too. Um, because I think even um, for individuals that I've kind of spoken to, okay, so I think it's really important to understand the difference first. And to uh, generally understand DAO, uh, you, have to, you have to understand the technology behind it. So most DAOs rely on blockchain technology and smart contracts, 
which are basically smart contracts or collections of code that run on the blockchain. So that if that power smart contracts are used in NFTs and uh, various protocols and protocols are basically the solution that you provide in a project. Um, so for DAOs, the blockchain can act as basically the backbone. So it keeps the structure and rules of each on-chain. Um, and now co to compare it with traditional organizations, traditional organizations, there's typically a hierarchy. So a formal board of directors, executives, CEOs, COOs, and upper management that determine the structure and uh, make the power that have the power to make changes. So for DAOs, which um, is also what we are, um, and we are also a, um, even our token in itself is a governance token, and most DAOs are governance tokens. Um, so DAOs, on the other hand, are completely decentralized. Um, you can also have a decentralized platform, but not all decentralized are also DAOs. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as well to see if, um, if the um, holders as well as the investors have um, are able to make decisions. So basically mm. what um, decentralized DAOs mean is that they aren't governed by only one person or entity. So me being the president and making a lot of these decisions, it's not completely out our executive team's decisions or our board's decisions. The rules and governance of each DAO is coded in smart contracts on the blockchain and they cannot be changed unless voted upon by the DAO's members. And usually DAO's members um, are uh, your entire token holders or investors of the projects. So every wallet gets to vote on um, other things that you can change, or if we wanna implement a new feature or a new product, we would take a vote on from our DAO members. So instead of uh, a few select uh, individuals that have majority say, all the members can vote on decisions right. together. Just also DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization um, yes. for the folks listening. I, I don't know that we actually went through that, but that makes that makes sense. Uh, I, I thought you were a DAO, but I didn't want to assign that <laughs> um, yeah, before actually it's, saying it. Our goal is to provide um, every individuals to make their own decisions. Especially yeah, when I want to, to can we talk about an analogous real world situation? Like, can we pick, I don't know, just again, so that people who are listening and getting more familiar with this kind of technology can understand in like a real world context. So I don't know, I'm trying to think of like any large company that we interact with. Like, okay, let's, I'm, and I'm trying to think of a strictly like, like let's say let's Apple. Let's do Bank of America. Oh, Bank of America. Okay. Yeah. We can yeah. stay in finances. Okay. So, so um, yeah. If um, I was um, a Bank of America member today and instead it was a DAO, what would that look like? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, again, I'm trying to like say I'm a member, then there wouldn't really be um, a C suite level exec. Like there would be people who are running the organization, but they wouldn't necessarily be the ones making the decisions. So if I took all of my money and put it into Bank of America, that would be essentially my token, correct? Like I bought yes. in in some way. 
Right. So the best way to really explain it is, for example, or we could take any organization. So it's in the stock market and you purchase stocks. Right. So um, I like to kind of call it the token. It's kind of like your stocks, basically. Okay. Right. So Bank of America stocks go up and down and they release their um, results, Q1, Q2, Q4, and yearly um, earnings report. And you just get to see, okay, why did all of the earnings report will give you, um, you know, where they really um, made a, a lot of revenue or where they lost money, you know, how the company's doing in general. You don't get to make the decisions on new products coming out or they won't ask all of these stockholders that, hey, we're going to be launching this. What do you guys think about it? Or we're changing the structure for acquisitions, um, mergers. Uh, no one else gets to say have a say in it except the board. Um, so it's specific individuals that get to make the decision on whether they want to remove the CEO or whether you know they want to um, add, acquire another organization as part of the company. Um, so, for example, Microsoft when they acquired um, when they or Meta, for example. Okay, Meta is a good one. Meta, when they uh, became Meta, even the name change in general, it was done specific, strictly by the board of uh, the board as well as the CEO and the owners. So, uh, in a DAO, for example, every single stockholder it would go out as a vote, and stockholders will be able to uh, vote on it based off of an amount of time that's set. Gotcha. That makes sense. I wanted to make sure that we could give a real world example, because um, I think that DAO is a term that gets thrown around a lot these days. And I don't know that yeah. everyone out there totally understands exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good like if, if stockholders were able to vote on every decision and any rule change was up to them. And also the rules were transparent and everyone knew what they were. <laughs> I think that's an important exactly. thing to know. Yeah, that the, the rules are actually visible themselves as well. And the fact that, you know, solutions in general, I think what the greatest thing about um, the solutions, especially in fintechs that are going to be available is when you look at even finances, I have banked with Bank of America as long as I can remember. And mm -hmm. even uh, for a traditional individual, it's like a marriage. <laughs> I like to call it like a marriage, right? You can't just get divorced. There's so much tied to it. It's like, right. oh, my Netflix account, even a debit card. When a debit card gets canceled, it's like yeah. all of these things pop up that you can't charge that you didn't even know you had services for. So people tend to not switch bank accounts all of a sudden um, just because they, you know, there's better uh, or JP Morgan might have some of the solutions that fits you best. So people will have maybe multiple accounts and then that the whole uh, spending time putting it together and, and keeping a track of it. So in yeah. fintech and a lot of these decentralized solutions, you get to pick and choose whether you want it all apart or a certain uh, organization that provides you with that specific solution. So everything is one plate in one place where you have the information and you get to choose the solution that works best for you and your family and your life cycle financial lifestyle. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to also talk about the business park idea and creating that kind of immersive experience. And 
and you've used the words kind of photorealistic. There's a lot talking about the visual portions um, in the white paper of of the product you're creating. But what does that visual aspect mean to you? And what does it do in terms of acquiring customers or getting people to adopt the technology? Like why the why the focus? I know it's not the only focus, but why is why is there a focus on creating these visuals as well to go along with the financial systems? Of course. Um, so because the reason why we call it a business district is, um, of course, we're scaling globally. And uh, the main goal is to be able to provide individuals with the opportunity to, if they want to open a business of their own in a virtual environment, to be able to do that. So um, imagine like a bazaar um, type of area where, you know, it's farmer's market in the morning and you go to these little booths and they have all of these produce or, or homemade uh, products that are available, or it could be um, a large uh, retailer that offers services there. So the idea is to bring individuals together in one place to offer various solutions where people can choose from. And the reason we make it photorealistic is yes, there are plenty of platforms out there where you could create fun avatars and, and have actual fun outfits to go with it. But if you really think about it, when it comes to financial solutions and business dealings, and uh, the idea is for offices to have a location there too, to continue to build that um, culture, that work-life culture, especially during remote work, is the fact right. that at times you want to be able to see what the individual looks like when it comes to financial solutions. So uh, Avatar offering you or telling you to invest your money into a platform where you return, where your um, APYs would be this much percentage, and you want to be able to communicate. And of course, we're also doing real-time rendering, so live conversations in a virtual environment. You want to be able to see that individual and have that interaction of what does this person really look like? So that's really important, as well as as we integrate with other technology and as we scale, the goal is to be able to provide digital identities for individuals across the globe based off of what you look like. So um, we're able, as technology advances, we're also able to integrate new technology to expand on the services we provide. So uh, we want individuals to be able to look, look as close to what they look like in real life. So cool, because I think when we talk about the metaverse and there's, I mean, there's, I don't know if you've seen all the new um, meta slash Facebook commercials about metaverse is just for gaming. And it's like, no, you can take a tour of the space station and you can do fitness classes, blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I've thought about the, I don't know, more um, basic structures of society, I guess, <laughs> being uh, also in the metaverse, like having a business park in the metaverse is, yeah, like that's not something that I would think about, but it's definitely it makes more sense as, as we talk about globalization and opening up and, and you can really interact with anyone anywhere in the world and get a sense of who they are and if they're the right fit for whatever project you might be working on. Um, but how important do you think it is to build and iterate on these kind of virtual worlds and to create these metaverse experiences? Like how much do you see that impacting the way we all kind of operate in the next, maybe in the next two years and then in the next 20 years, like short and long term? Of course. 
I think in the next couple of years, you'll still see a lot of innovation and not the user base will be not as high as we are really predicting. Here's why. I think um, what we're all focused on are individuals that um, are already in the industry as most of the metaverse uh, technology kind of involves one, one sort of digital currency or cryptocurrency attached to most uh, projects. So, but at the same time, if you really look at the number of people that are currently utilizing or really understand digital currency, it's very low. Um, like I kind of mentioned, really, do I even know, um, me being in the industry, I know a lot more than the traditional individuals I even speak with that um, I, have, I always laugh. I have a, sister, a really young sister and she's a scientist. And every time we try to have even conversations around cryptocurrency, she gets super overwhelmed. And she's like, this is way over my head. Can we just change the subject? Um, and she's not into cryptocurrency because even, so it's not just about education, it's about the proper information and the proper tools given to an individual to be able to learn these, um, learn what digital currency is and how to really right. utilize it in the real world. So I think that's going to be super important. At some point, we're going to have to slow down and let the rest of the populations kind of catch up and really learn about it. And, and that's one of our goals in the project. So we're we're actually delivering um, our deliverables in, in pieces where uh, individuals are able to really learn what, what the entire project looks like, but start utilizing several different solutions until you get to uh, when that business district when, where you know how to utilize all of the solutions, you know how it works, and the user use case would be much higher. Um, so education is going to be super important as far as scalability. And as we look at long term, you really look at what other countries are doing. Uh, so the government and regulations will play a huge role in adoption as well. Um, you have countries such as uh, Dubai, Dubai, um, Singapore. You look at, mm -hmm. you know, other um, countries that are really making, setting those set rules in crypto regulations uh, where adoptability will be uh, much higher than other countries that aren't even looking at regulations. Okay, so step one is education. And then what about, what do you think it's going to look like? So that's the two-year picture. What do you think the 20-year picture is going to look like? Like, this is really, I mean, this is all conjecture because we have no idea what's going to happen. So. Of course. Yeah, I think it's going to be very similar to if you've ever watched Ready Player One, where yes. we're doing a lot of things. We're doing a lot of things in the metaverse, and it becomes more simplified. And I'm not saying that we're all going to live with virtual with VR headsets, and we're going to, you know, I'm not saying it, it's it's going to be that extreme. I think what's going to be really important, and what we'll see is technology where it merges uh, the virtual world with the real world and it bridges the gap between the two. So where you'll be able to uh, combine the virtual aspect into the real world as you're seeing. Uh, technology such as that already exists, but I think that's going to be key. And the fact that we can actually use technology for good, especially around the social impact piece too. So. 
that's going to be a huge factor as to, you know, how we could really change the world with what we have right now. Well, and speaking of that, I want to talk about who, you know, who you are and how you got to here. And of course, we're already running out of time, <laughs> like famous for never having enough time for all my questions. But what has it been like for you as as a woman, as a minority woman, as a female founder, as someone who is working with um, developing countries and thinking about the, the specific challenges faced in developing economies? Like, what has your experience been like in this space? And yeah, I, I'm going to stop there for now. I have plenty more questions, yeah. but let's do that first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think females are underrepresented in the fintech industry in general, in the workforce, as well as the user base. So there's a huge lack of role models in the field. I was reading a survey where it said uh, 42% have stated that there's, you know, they don't have a role model in this field and lack of mentors. Mm -hmm. And among fintech founders, women are less likely to even receive investor funding. Uh, than their male counterparts. And then you kind of add into the financial aspect to it. And um, a lot of tradi most traditional banking, women are not usually within the C executive levels. There, there's a low percentage of it. And tech and financial services at the executive level are primarily male dominated. So um, it, it is a difficult journey because of the fact that not a it, it, you kind of hit all of the dots. So not only are you in the tech industry, you're in finance and at the same time, fintech and crypto digital currency and trying to solve a major uh, problem that's out there. Um, what really got me motivated and, and what really brought me into this industry is, like I kind of mentioned, I was originally born in Bangladesh. Um, we relocated to the United States when I was very, very young. Um, but I do a lot of social impact work in specifically in Southeast Asia and Africa um, around education for women and children. And what I have realized is um, we can sit and blame uh, the government and people not doing enough for the country and, and giving back in poverty. But poverty is inherited and the cycle will continue unless there's some sort of a disruptor. So that's why I decided to create this platform where it provides accessibility and it becomes a disruptor in the cycle of poverty. The goal mm -hmm. of our project is to be able to, um, for individuals to be able to provide first world resources to these underdeveloped communities and countries where individuals can teach. So if you've ever heard of the saying, give a man a fish, he feeds for a day, but if yep. you teach uh -huh. him to fish, feeds for a lifetime. So that's the main foundation of our project is where individuals can teach another person halfway across the world um, how to, uh, a skill set that they're good in. And that individual, the person learning is also earning. So we're gamifying the entire educational process. And as they earn, they receive certifications for their uh, skill set. And once they are fully certified, they can work for any organization within our, whether it's our world or anywhere else, uh, with their skill set and be able to earn and break that cycle of poverty. That is so cool. I didn't realize that the kind of play to earn, or do you prefer play to earn or play and earn? 
we call it learn to earn, but it's also play to oh. earn, learn to yeah, earn. Yeah, learn it's to earn is even more fun. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was an aspect of the education piece as well. That's that's a neat little, and I think, I mean, I feel like at this point, a lot of people out there have read the stories about how um, RuneScape is an underpinning of a huge economic part of Venezuela. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I think there's, I think that there is a better way to commodify that and expand it behind beyond just because I feel like RuneScape in Venezuela has been the example for like six years now. It's like we all talk about RuneScape gold in Venezuela. Like there's got to be something else. So I think that uh that's cool that you have a learn and earn. Um that's that's fun. And I think that that's that might be a little more realistic than play to earn. Just because then it's yeah teaching a skill set kind of a job skill. And the person that teaches the skill sets also earning uh, what you call karma tokens. And then uh-huh. that karma token can be traded for whether it's a token, our native token, or for exclusive, uh, valuable NFTs. Or uh, So you're also building that, you know, a lot of individuals are really looking at what is the social status or what is the, um, indiv- how individuals will behave in the uh, metaverse. So that kind of creates oh. that positive reinforcement. and and positivity around being able to, and it's that ecosystem, right? So it stays within that ecosystem. You're teaching, you're earning, they're earning for learning, and then you're able to learn even further to grow those financial, um, the finance that you earn. Huh, that is so cool. Yeah, I've spoken previously on the show um, to Web3 game developers who are creating a mechanism to basically, reinforce positive behavior through rewards as well and that was in mm-hmm. in the play um side of things but that's really cool um that that's part of it too oh my gosh i have so many more questions that i didn't get to cut get to cover at all but it has been <laughs> such a joy having you before we get into the last little segment i'm going to try to summarize our discussion thus far it's going to be hard because i feel like we covered so much and i learned so much um, so I'm definitely going to have to go back through and listen to this when it comes out. Yeah. Um, we started with uh, how MBD Financials is kind of framing the discussion about how they're helping the unbanked, which can mean a lot of different things. Um, opening a traditional account requires a lot of documentation that people may not have. Cash is just easier to maintain. It's also easier on employer's end to send out cash. It's immediate. It, it, there's a lot of reasons why people are unbanked. For women, even fewer are in the workforce and therefore earning kind of that cash and more take on roles in the household, which can lead to their underrepresentation in in traditional financial systems as well. We kind of moved into why blockchain for MBD financials. One is that blockchain ledgers are good for transparency. You can also create a digital ID without needing to uh, have those traditional um, documentations. So you can create an ID easily and quickly. You can also transfer instantly, which is huge. And then additionally, in, in addition to just kind of storing any any earnings that you might have or any money that you might receive, you can also, it's easy to create investments and have access to investors and kind of learn that portion of it. Um, we talked about MBD Financials and how you're offering financial solutions concurrently with offering financial education. So you're teaching people to use the tools and transition to decentralized banking services. Um, we got into it a little later, but part of that teaching is through learn and earn. So teachers are learn are teaching and earning 
students are learning and earning. And it's kind of this um, reinforcement mechanism for keeping people in the ecosystem, um, teaching them a skill set to then pass along, and also just providing them with a way to earn something along the way, which is really cool. Um, we spend a lot of time on accessibility. So simplifying accessibility first by making, as we said, no documentation needed, and it's instantaneous, but then also you can access on all kinds of devices. You can access on all kinds of hardware. You can go in on your phone or you can go in on a VR headset. Either way, all of these services will be available to you to use. You also may note that this is agnostic, so it can convert or it can work across any blockchain. There's a lot of solution compatibility. There's a lot of hardware compatibility. So I know that you said that you're, you're mostly working on finance, but the, that's because Ethereum gas prices are high but that people who tend to use Ethereum and can afford those gas prices are also can be part of the ecosystem. So it's nice that it's it's portable across coins and across tokens and that people can interact with, with the um, financial system in a lot of different ways. Um, we then got into a discussion on DAOs and what DAOs are. So decentralized autonomous organizations, not all decentralized platforms are DAOs. Um, some of the key things about DAOs is that they are not governed by any one person or entity. Governance of each DAO is fully available to all members of said DAO, um, fully transparent and immutable on the blockchain. Token holders are typically the members of a DAO organization. And we sort of likened it to stockholders being the ones who were in charge of making a lot of the decisions instead of kind of having a C-suite and organizational structure that way. Um, so it's an autonomous, decentralized organization instead of a hierarchical, um, traditional organization. Mm -hmm. Um, we also talked about the creation of the business part that you have. So not only is, is MBD trying to create financial solutions for banking, but also as a place for people to start businesses and to interact with other folks who are starting businesses. So creating a fully virtual world where people can go in and interact in this financial system or in this, in this business part um, and really do a lot of different things, which I think is really cool. Then I kind of asked you those big pie in the sky questions about What's going to happen in two years? What's going to happen in 20 years? And for the two years, it was all about education. As you said, we need to slow down. We need to let other people catch up. There's a lot out there. There's a lot happening. It's very exciting, but it can be hard to remember that not everyone is super comfortable or excited about it, and it can cause a lot of anxiety. So slowly getting information out there. Like you said, not having one YouTube channel where you start immediately on mining <laughs> and kind of yeah. getting people out there in comfortable and familiar ways. But then in 20 years, you can see a more Ready Player One-like universe. Not that it's going to exactly be like that, and we're going to live all the way online, mm -hmm. that we're all going to have better access to technology that kind of brings us into virtual worlds more regularly um, for all kinds of things. We ended with a discussion kind of on women in fintech. Um, there's, I know that you noted that there's a lack of mentors, there's a lack of investment, and that comes from, I mean, it starts really far upstream with like, Fewer women aren't even in traditional financial systems. So working into other technology, into other fintech can be a real challenge um, to get a lot more women in there. Um, and so I know that one of the things that you noted is that through education, you're trying to get more people comfortable in the space and excited about the space in the space, which I think is really great. Um, more is always better. Um, so the last segment, and I like to do this with every show, um, I call it a moment of reflection. It's just a chance for you to look back on your career. And the thing that I like to ask is, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the fintech slash emerging tech industry and being successful? I would say 
to be more open as a young individual um, to the new technology and the new types of investment that's out there. I wish I would have made a, a choice such as that when, during Bitcoin days, right? Don't we all wish that? But um, it's very important to have that open mind. Not um, it, There isn't really that girls can't be engineers and girls can't be uh, tech company um, founders and that every single person, I mean, I call myself um, when people ask, well, where did you, you know, where did you really learn all of this information? Sometimes I PhD myself. I always say, yeah, I have a PhD from Google. Um, because Web3, we don't, I don't think there is anywhere where you could really get a degree on Web3. So it's right. taking in all of the information and continue to learn, continue to have an open mind. Um, I wish I did that when I was younger, instead of focusing on one subject and, and kind of keeping my um, focus and direction towards that. I study about two hours a day, even now, to keep up with the industry. And that's someone that's um, already are in the industry. So I think that's going to be super important and good to know. Oh, that's so great to remember not to become a curmudgeon about anything. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you, follow Meta or follow MBD Financials, learn more? I've linked some things Absolutely. in the show notes, but plug everything. Yeah. Um, MBDfinancials.com. You can find us there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Mae Maboob. Happy to answer any questions, anything about the project. We're also super excited. We're launching our token um, on the exchange on May 17th. On um, And we're super excited to be launching there as well as we are also launching our NFT cross-chain platform um, soon after that, within by the second week of June latest. Um, you'll be able to look at our token and look at the project. Um, we're launching on BitRoot and um, learn more about it. Of course, the social impact is very near and dear to my heart. So um, I always like to kind of leave it off at, um, we can all make a difference no matter the size because sometimes we wait for someone else to do something about it. But regardless of how big the impact is, um, we, can, if we can wait around or we could just say that if it's not you, then who, right? Yes, love that. So everyone go follow it. Go learn more. This was such a cool episode. For all the listeners out there, be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss, and you can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports Live After Show. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.